This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberling. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. Uh, Kyler, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I know. Thanks for, for filling in for Parisa and her uh, maternity leave absence. Um, welcome welcome to the show. So good to, good to have you. Absolutely. Um, it's an honor. So we've got an exciting show for you, everyone today. We've got uh, a few things we're, we're going to cover. We're going to, uh, first of all, we're going to start off by talking a little bit about um, our Digital Stratosphere Conference, which we just wrapped up uh, recently. And uh, we had some good audience participation at that conference, and, and you're going to help us maybe reenact or relive some of those moments uh, via some of the questions that the, the audience had. And we're going to go through some of those topics and, and questions that, that came up during those uh, three days of discussions, focusing on, on a few of the sessions that we had on the first day of the conference. Um, so we'll, we'll do that here in our first segment. And then uh, later in the show, we're going to have um, Sarah Dokovich is going to interview Stuart Robb from our UK office uh, talking about the board's role in transformation. So that'll be our, our first guest will be Stuart and Sarah talking about how the executive board and the executive management team should be involved in, in a transformation, what their role is and how they can make it successful and whatnot. And then we'll also have uh, Sarah again interviewing Brian LaCaruba from the third stage team who's going to talk about business intelligence. So after we talk about the board's role in transformation, we'll shift gears, bring on another guest, talk about business intelligence and data and analytics and all that good stuff and how it relates to transformation. And then finally, we're actually going to play uh, a clip from our Stratosphere Conference, one of the presentations that I gave. We're going to play you a little clip from that um, segment or from that session. And that session is uh, an executive summary of transformation best practices. That's a, a presentation I often give to uh, not only at conferences, but to executive teams at, at clients. Um, that's one of the uh, sessions that that I typically give, and we'll, we'll play you a clip from that that part of Stratosphere. So stay tuned to the end for that that piece of it. It's a it's a interesting conversation. So to start though, um, let's talk about some of the questions that came up during during the event. So we had um, a lot of people attend the event. A lot of good questions that came up. In fact, we couldn't get to all the questions because there were so many. But what were some of the sort of the findings or, or some of the the questions and themes that that came up during the the conference? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first of all, you know, great job. It was an excellent conference. I know we had a, a lot of really great feedback. So with that, I think the thing, um, maybe just me that learned the most, but um, we had a lot of questions around change management. Um, so I think that's probably a great place to start as all of our topics had to do with change management and had some of that context kind of weaved in to that. Um, so I think one of the, the questions I found most interesting was, um, do you need change management when it comes to technical upgrades? So maybe you're not doing like a full ERP digital transformation, but you are transforming 
or upgrading a piece of your software or a process. Um, so do you need change management? Should it be something that is continuous throughout kind of any sort of change in your business? Yeah, that, and that was that was an interesting topic or thread that came up during the, the conference. And, and it's a common misnomer or misperception that um, that you don't need change management because we're simply doing an upgrade. Um, and so first of all, I'd say that um, it's important to look at whether or not you're really doing a simple upgrade. I think a lot of times companies think, well, I'm already using, you know, say SAP and I'm just upgrading to S4 HANA or I'm already using uh, Oracle EBS. I'm just upgrading to Oracle, Oracle ERP Cloud. Um, in today's day and age, if for most vendors that are now making that shift to the cloud where their upgrades are not a simple incremental upgrade, but it's more of a rewrite of their software, the, the, the call it upgrades, I use that term very loosely, but those upgrades are actually more like re-implementations uh, because they're completely different products. They're, um, they're, just, they're just not the same. It may have some similarities, some commonalities that look familiar to people, but for the most part, these are completely new technologies. It just happens to be the same vendor that you may have used in the past. Um, but even in cases where it might be a more incremental upgrade, where uh, perhaps it's a vendor that's already in the cloud and they've got a pretty mature product, and so it's not as big of a jump as some of the other vendors are making, it's still usually more uh, disruptive from an organizational change perspective than people think. Um, and so I'd say that it's it, change management is important no matter what sort of you know transformation you're going through, whether it's an upgrade or a re-implementation of an entirely new product. Um, but so that's the first thing to note is that it's it's important either way. But I think even more importantly, in most cases, we find that these upgrades are more significant than people think. So yeah, long long way of saying that yes, change management is important. <laughs> it's important, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, in taking it kind of up a level, we had a huge global audience, right, um, at Stratosphere, and that's a, a big piece of the identity of third stage, right? Is having that ability to um, transcend any sort of cultural uh, barriers or anything like that. So we did have a, a great question from one of our participants in South Africa asking about how does culture affect the system integrator you work with, the vendor, um, the partners you choose, you know, how do you make sure that from a change management perspective, um, if you have different departments in different areas, if you have any sort of global footprint, how do you make sure that you are um, taking that into consideration uh, when it comes to your projects? Yeah, and it's, it, it's a great question because most people don't think about culture when they're thinking about transformations so or just the fact that the question came up is, is a great start um, to begin with. And it was also interesting that embedded in that question in the first part is, you know, how does it affect the vendors that you might work with? And I think that's an important thing is when you're defining your digital strategy or your software selection, it's important to look at not only how how well software does or doesn't meet your your tangible business requirements, but you also want to look at it from an intangible perspective of how well aligned that technology or solution is or isn't with with your organization. So just to give a, a maybe a quick oversimplified example, if you look at um, SAP versus uh, Oracle, or let's just say even better, SAP versus Microsoft Dynamics. Let's just say those are two products you're considering, SAP S4 HANA and Microsoft Dynamics 365. Um, those are two pretty extreme examples of SAP S4 HANA being more of the standardized um, 
common business process operating model type of solution that's somewhat rigid for better or for worse and maybe less flexible than other products in the market. And then you have D365, which is um, sort of the opposite. It's very flexible for better or for worse, which has a dark side as well. Um, but it, it, it's not as, it's not as uh, robust in terms of driving that sort of standardization and common business process model. So neither one's necessarily good or bad or right or wrong, but when you look at your organization and who you are and what you're trying to become, you wanna look at how would, how would that solution affect your culture? So, for example, when you're implementing SAP S4HANA, a lot of organizations that make that jump to SAP, they do it because they want to scale, they want to standardize, they want to create common business processes and integrated processes across the company. But then they, they fail to recognize what a big disruption that is to their culture because they, maybe they grew up as an entrepreneurial uh, shoot from the hip type of organization. And now you're, you're sort of forcing them uh, pretty quickly into a different model where it's, it's a lot more rigid. And so that's the first thing is, you know, looking more on the evaluation and the roadmap side of it is what is that impact and how does the technology fit in or not with your vision for what you want your culture to be. And then when you look at the implementation and the transformation itself, and that's where you get into the questions of different cultures and different countries and how you navigate that and recognize that the bigger you are and the more complex you are and the more multinational you are, the more cultural clashes or uh, misalignments you're likely to have. And so I think the key there is just really to do an assessment early on, an organizational assessment that looks at the different parts of the organization. Even if you're not multinational, you could still have different cultures or subcultures within the same division or the same part of your business or the same country of your business. And certainly for multinational, you know, that, that becomes even more important. So doing that sort of organizational assessment to understand what the culture is now, what, what are the pros and cons, strengths and weaknesses, what is it we're trying to bend the culture to become, and then ultimately, how do we create a change strategy that, that meets those needs? So that's a easier said than done. There's a lot more to it than that, but that right. in a nutshell is sort of what, what we would recommend to clients that are trying to figure out the cultural piece of it. Definitely. And we did have um, a session at Stratosphere on global transformations as well. Um, so that's definitely something that, that we are able to cover. And and if we, if our audience has any more questions, you know, we can certainly dig into that um, as well. Um, but last question on change management that I thought was really interesting, and I know Stuart's going to kind of talk about the importance of executive alignment and the role of the board later today. But I thought, um, you know, this more kind of technical question about how do you budget for change management or what piece of your budget from transformation should be centered on change management because it's so important. I've never really heard it talked about um, in really that more technical, hard, quantitative terms. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it, it, that was a great question that um, I didn't have a good metric for or any sort of, um, uh, you know, proven data, you know, proven sources that, that, that demonstrate what that budget should be. Um, so I've, again, it's another question that just the fact that the question is coming up is a good one because it means you're thinking about how much should we, we budget on something that's very important. Um, but one thing we found and this, again, isn't based on any sort of scientific data, but just as qualitatively speaking, when we look at where the more successful organizations that we've worked with over the years, um, where have they invested or how much have they invested in change management? It's been, you know, somewhere between, uh, like 15 and 17% seems to be a number that just order of magnitude from our perspective is a good, you know, benchmark or place 
to think about or to start. Um, it's not a hard and fast metric by any means, but it, I think it's a good order of magnitude thing to figure out directionally, are we investing enough in change management? Um, I think what happens is a lot of times we, we sort of try to take leftover budget to figure out how we're going to, you know, bake in some change management just to get, you know, get some bare minimum um, focus on it. But I think in the budgeting process, you should be spending more time up front saying, okay, we want to have a robust change management strategy and plan, and we want to invest heavily in this. So let's make sure we define that plan and have a budget for it. What I would say, maybe building on the previous question you asked around um, the cultural piece of it and how during the organizational assessment, that's where you really assess what the cultural impact is and how you want to bend the culture. Same goes true for, or same holds true for the uh, budgeting piece, because when you do the organizational assessment, that gives you a sense of, you know, how big of an impact is this going to be to the organization and how much ultimately do we need to, to invest? Yeah, I, I, I think that, that it all kind of weaves together was a huge learning on my part and someone, you know, that's not in the inter, in the industry all the time. Um, and the, the thing about change management, which kind of like trickles into my next question, is we had Marcus Harris from Taft Law join us. Um, for some of more of the contracting type of questions. And I was so surprised of how much change management he actually spoke about and how important that is in contracting. So um, my next question kind of focuses on that and how, how we kind of, um, we, we rack in users. So that was the piece that I know a lot of people had questions on. And, and when we are going through the contracting piece and, testing and implementation, one of our audience members wanted to kind of dig into at what point do you involve users in this actual um, project? So that was one piece that I, I never really thought about. I thought, you know, probably just the IT team would do it and then they would kind of just tell everybody about it. But they that I, I learned from Marcus can really lead to failure if you don't involve users in in the actual you know planning and testing process yeah yeah it's it's definitely true and i think to your point about marcus recognizing the importance of change management um you know being an attorney who deals with failures and lawsuits all the time and he, he's seeing these extreme examples of, of failure and the good part about that perspective that that he has and we we have as well just from being expert witnesses on his cases and other attorneys cases um, is that you, you get to see sort of front row what, you know, what not to do and change management um, in every expert witness case I've been involved with change management has been a huge issue. Um, and so I, I think that's an important point. Um, but as far as how the, uh, you know, how you, how you um, create that buy-in and make sure it's not an IT driven project or whatever, um, that's a, it's a good point. You definitely want the business stakeholders involved. Um, it's a tricky balancing act though, because, you know, you, on one hand, you don't want it to be a, a small group of people or just the IT group making these decisions and running the project. You want the business to be involved, but the more people you get involved on the flip side, the more people you get involved, the harder it is to get consensus and alignment on what, what it is you're going to do. So, um, you definitely don't want to just ignore it and say, well, then we'll just have a smaller group, you know, from IT driving the whole thing. And that way we don't have to worry about it because then you have other issues with resistance to the change. Um, but, you know, I think that's a, um, a, a key thing or key balance. We, we actually have a client that we're working with now that has, I think the number is like 82. There's 82 different people from their project team that are stakeholders or been identified as stakeholders 
that have to have, uh, you know, input into this decision and the overall roadmap. And so, you know, that the good news is they, they have a lot of buy-in, a lot of involvement. They're all involved in it. But the, the hard part is they, they're having a lot of trouble. And we're having trouble just kind of getting them all aligned and recognizing that you're not going to make everyone happy. It's not going to be a unanimous decision-making process. Um, and someone's going to be unhappy, you know, with some of the decisions that are made. So you have to just acknowledge the messiness of that. Maybe you aren't going to have 82 people on, on your project or involved in, in these sorts of things. But um, it, it just goes back to that balancing act. You do want the involvement. It's going to create some messiness, but you need to do it to some degree to, to work through that stuff. Yeah. And and how do you identify those users? Or, like, is there some sort of assessment or something like that that you utilize to say, like, this department or this stakeholder needs to be involved? Yeah, I mean, typically, you know, when we're helping structure the team, you want to make sure you've got a good cross-functional representation and a cross-geographical representation and that sort of thing. So, you know, part of it comes out of that organizational assessment that I was talking about before. Um, a lot of times the clients themselves, they kind of know who some of the key stakeholders are that they want to include. And then it's a matter of just sort of filling out the team. Um, and then a lot of other times, you know, I don't, I'm not saying this is the right answer, but other times it's sort of the squeaky wheels, you know, the people that are very vocal, <laughs> have very strong opinions, they end up just by default becoming part of the uh, decision-making process. And that may or may not be the right answer in, in those cases. And, you know, it is okay too. The other thing is it's okay to, to say no, that not everyone can be involved in the whole, you know, every single decision that gets made or every single step in the process. And that's, that's hard for organizations as well, especially, you know, flatter organizations, more collaborative organizations, they tend to struggle to get that alignment and consensus and uh you know and you have to factor those sorts of things into your transformation plan too because that stuff's going to move a lot slower than the tech technological rollout is going to yeah definitely um that makes a lot of sense um you know so it's it's kind of hard to ask you questions about th this specific conference because we covered so much <laughs> right, right? so um for our audience we are kind of pivoting a little bit but i know we had a lot of discussion around um, ERP cloud and the cloud in general and what that means as far as implementing softwares because it seems as though the industry obviously has taken uh, a real turn towards those systems. Um, so one of the questions that we had when we did discuss these these different pieces is, is just what does that um, implementation look like? How is it different and, and what is the timeline around the cloud implementation, if that's what you choose to, to utilize for your business. Yeah, so first of all, it's important to not be lulled into thinking that it's gonna be easy and it's gonna be super fast because it's a cloud deployment. Um, as we just talked about with the, the cultural pieces of things and the buy-in, that's the stuff that cloud isn't gonna speed up for us. The cloud, the cloud deployments might make technology more accessible and it might make the technology uh, or it might get it up and running faster, the technology itself, but getting the technology to work with our business and to align it with our business processes and vice versa and to align it with our organization and vice versa, uh, that that's the part that takes time. So, and that's a bulk of the, you know, time and effort that goes into a, an implementation. So on one hand, yes, cloud does uh, positively affect implementation uh, time and cost and, and risk, I guess you, you could say. Um, but it's a very narrow part of the project that it's affecting. Uh, and it's overstated usually by vendors how much of an impact that has uh, on the overall implementation. So I can't give you a, a, a you know a hard and fast number of like how how quickly can you implement cloud versus on-premise. Um, 
honestly, I haven't seen any sort of material difference in a, in a cloud rollout versus a, a uh, on-premise. Um, so um, take that for what it's worth. But, you know, if you're, if you're going with a more agile approach or you're trying to roll out, you know, incrementally more different technologies, cloud can definitely support that, that approach for sure. Yeah, that makes a, a, a lot of sense. Um, certainly, I know we had lots of conversations around implementation and, and how do you prepare for an implementation? I think one of the sessions I learned the most one from was how do you um, tighten up your operations to make sure that you're ready for um, an implementation or even just how do you make sure that you're utilizing your data to choose a software? So I thought this question during Dave Beldick's session about operations was really interesting um, when he talked about uh, the go live and what the preparation was before that. Um, and so one of our users asked um, if the system's not ready for the go live, how can the operational pieces be implemented um, if they're not exactly connected to the go live? So how can the data or how can you make sure that it, your data is cleansed or that you're ready to go as far as different pieces that the organization itself needs to own, even though you might have an advisor or a partner like Third Stage helping you kind of through that. Yeah, and it's another intuitive question. It was a good question from the, the audience. Just to be thinking in that way is, is, is very important. Um, but, you know, I'd say that, first of all, that not all, contrary to popular belief, not all process improvements are fully dependent on new technology. There's certainly ways that technology is going to help you uh, further enable improvements you want to make or give you the tools to to further automate or make a process more efficient, uh, more effective. But there's oftentimes, you know, somewhere between a third or half of the process improvements that you want to make, you could do without the technology. It, it might be made even better with the technology, but you could start changing the way you think about things or the way information flows or the way people start um, incorporating steps in their processes. Um, it may be that it's fairly manual for the time being, but it's still an improvement, it's an incremental improvement. And then by the time the technology gets rolled out, maybe it's a, you know, even further improvement in that area. Um, so I think that's an important way to think about it because it, it allows you to get value out of these improvements, even before you're waiting for the big go live, which might be, you know, years down the road, you can be incorporating some of these changes now. And then also what, what the benefit is, is that it allows you that to, to get to a point where you've already made some change, so you're not springing all the change on people right at go live, or you know when they get to testing, they're not learning about this stuff for the first time. They've already incorporated some of the changes into their day to day processes. They've changed their you know operating procedures. Now it's a matter of using a new tool to help further uh, enable that that improvement. So that's the way you don't. It's not that you necessarily want to decouple process improvement from technology, but there's a subset of it that you can definitely be rolling out from a, you know, operational value perspective and also from a change management perspective to sort of uh, spoon feed the changes a little bit more gradually to people rather than all at one big, big bang go live point. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I think that having that specifically for our small businesses or our small to medium businesses, where, where would you start, <laughs> you know, in, in just saying that I know I have things to do on the operation side and even for global businesses, you know, do you start by reaching out to a partner to help you through that process or do you start by, um, you know, looking at your data or, or what's kind of the, the first step in that process? 
Yeah. So, I mean, if you don't have much experience in, in the area, I would say definitely get some outside help. Companies like Third Stage, um, ideally, that are independent and aren't aligned or affiliated with software vendors that can give you objective advice. Um, that's always good to have. Um, but as far as how you get started, even with a partner, I mean, the first thing is really just to assess what you have and where the pain points are, what the priorities are as an organization, and evaluate options from there. I mean, there's so many different options you have as an organization, especially a smaller business. Um, there's just tons of different technologies that can support whatever industry you're in. And so, uh, you know, making sure that you do that assessment up front is, is important. And it doesn't need to be a super extensive, you know, over analysis of your current state, but you do want to get some sort of lay of the land to get a good feel for, you know, what you have today, where the pain points are, what you're trying to accomplish in the future, and then what path best, you know, would support that from a technology and process and people perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Going back to that more strategy mindset, right? When it comes yeah. to what do you want to be when you grow up and then yeah. start from there, it always seems like we, we, it's cyclical, right? That goes back to the first step <laughs> in whatever we talk about. Um, and my, my last question that I'd love you to answer for this audience specifically is we talked about a lot of trends in the first day. We did, um, you know, New Frontiers with Stuart Robb, and then you talked about um, trends for the 2020s for digital transformation. And um, one of our users asked, you know, what do you think will be the biggest trend um, for digital transformation in the 2020s? So huge question, but I thought this was a good way to kind of round out um, our, our question and answer session here is just letting you kind of talk about that, um, those new trends and pieces of the overall industry and business. Yeah. You don't by chance remember what I said in the conference, do you? You may <laughs> ask that question because I don't remember how, how I answered that question. I, uh, I think you kind of packaged it up <laughs> in, in all of the things that you had talked about, but, um, you know, maybe just giving us a, a kind of a quick hit of, of trends that, you know, you've been seeing or calls you've been getting from clients or anything like that, kind of where are we headed as an industry and what does that look like, especially after all we've experienced globally in the, in the last couple of years? Yeah. And, you know, I think in general, if you, if you look purely at the technology trends themselves, you know, probably the biggest one we're seeing with uh, business applications and enterprise technologies and ERP systems and whatnot is is in the space of machine learning and artificial intelligence. So really um, just finding ways to make sense of your data and translating it into something that helps the business beyond just basic reporting, you know, helping you make decisions or helping a workflow be more um, automated simply because you have data that you can, that the system can analyze and help automate based on historic trends and whatnot. Um, it's an area that I feel like the ERP and enterprise technology space has been talking about for a long time, but we're just now finally seeing um, some new capabilities in that area of machine learning and artificial intelligence. Um, you know, we're, we're still not, ERP systems still aren't caught up to the, uh, you know, to the machine learning and uh, algorithmic type of capabilities of a Google or Amazon or, you know, one of those tech providers that have machine learning and AI sort of baked into their core product. But they're getting there. They're starting to find ways to use machine learning and artificial intelligence. So I think that that is a big thing. It's, there's a lot of buzz around it. Technology's you know starting to bake that into into it as well. Right. And for anyone that's listening that's not you know familiar with that, I highly recommend they go check out your your video and blog. Um, you know, I have the pleasure of being able to edit those blogs and 
And one thing that really resonated with me was, you know, Alexa, right? We all know. Um, my son knows. He's two. He knows that name. Um, and I always go back and forth. Like, I want to teach him to be polite, but I also want him to know that that's not actually a real person. And, you know, we have these new frontiers, not only from the business angle, but also the, the personal angle as well. So, um, but thank you so much for, for answering these questions. And I know um, we will kind of provide a snapshot of digital stratosphere um, in the end of this episode, right? Yep. Yep. We'll play you a little clip um, about just sort of an executive summary of best practices and transformation. So that was one of the clips we did on, on the first day of keynotes that we'll play for you at the end of this, this session here. Yeah. Well, good. Well, thanks for bringing up those questions. It was, it was good to sort of uh, summarize and, and replay some of the highlights of the, of the conference and, uh, and people can download uh, or access at least the first day of the conference on our website, right? As far as uh, yes. if you want to access any of those keynotes. Yep, absolutely. We can um, access those on our, our website as well. And that's all of day one. It's also um, going to be up on our YouTube channel too. So we can kind of splice it out per section. Yep. And we'll, we'll include a link uh, in this podcast description, just to make sure you have access or you know how to get there, but uh, be sure to look out for that. There's the really good speakers on that first day. Uh, a lot of good topics covered. So I highly encourage you to check that out. So, well, good. Well, thanks for, thanks for that uh, discussion there. And we're, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to uh, bring back Stuart Robb, who's going to talk a bit about the executive's role in, in a, a transformation. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. And we are uh, talking today about uh, a lot of different topics. We, we talked about... Uh, our Stratosphere conference right before the break, and now we're going to shift gears and bring back one of our Stratosphere speakers, which is uh, Stuart Robb, um, who's going to talk about uh, the executive's role and the board of directors' role in transformation. And this is a really important topic, even if you're not an executive team member or if you're not on a board of directors, because it's a way to set expectations and, and help your executive team understand what their role should be. And that's a common disconnect we see in transformations is, is sort of the project team knows what needs to be done, or they maybe they have a better understanding of what's required of the executive team, but the board or executive team has a different idea of what their role should or shouldn't be. So this is a topic that I know you've um, heard Stuart speak about. Kyler, what are some of your, your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think this topic is so interesting and it kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier of, of what is the overall strategic goal of the business and how important it is that the project team 
is aligned with the executive team so that everyone's kind of on the same page. And and Stuart did a really interesting um, presentation, just so our audience knows, at his business breakfast for his European audience um, in February. So that's also available um, on our YouTube channel if anyone wants to check that out. But with this, um, he kind of utilized the podcast to talk through that. So one of the the most interesting things um, or, you know, most interesting baseline questions is, you know, when we when you take this to the the board, I've seen that be a pain point um, in getting through that. You know, can you can you kind of take us through what that looks like or or how to attach the actual project proposal to the board and maybe like share a best practice about that? relationship? Yeah, it. I mean, first of all, you want to set the, the cadence and the tempo and the process for how you communicate and keep the, the board involved or the executive team involved and up to speed on what's going on. Um, so setting that tempo early on is important and setting the expectation early on is important. Um, but then it's also a matter of, you know, educating the board and the executive team on what their role should be and what sorts of decisions that, that are going to get escalated to them. So it's, it becomes sort of a project governance uh, discussion or, or uh, topic. So that's the other thing is just the, the, um, the governance and the decision-making process and making sure they're on the same page with that. So that when you do bring a proposal or you bring a uh, recommendation to them, you know, they're not surprised by it or they don't tell you just to deal with it. They know that they're expected to, you know, be part of that process and make sure they at the very least validate and buy into um, the recommendations or whatever decision is that that's being made. I think I think the thing that's just as important too is that you know project teams for understandable self-preservation purposes or reasons will sugarcoat the way things are going off to times and and uh, it's not that you want to point out all the deficiencies of of what you're doing or what the transformation is going through, but you want to be very candid and and uh, transparent about the the risks that that are being mitigated or that are bubbling under the surface and identifying ways that the executive team can help mitigate those risks. So those are some of the things that come to mind in that regard. Excellent. Yeah, I, I think that this is such an important topic, right? Because it the board ultimately, usually most organizations are the, you know, the decision maker really about, um, you know, can we invest this huge amount of money in a new system? So um, I think Stuart has a lot of great insight in how to make sure that your proposal is ready and, and understand what their relationship is, whether you're on the project team or you are a board member or an executive that's trying to support the project team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and he has, he has a pretty interesting perspective that we'll get to here now, um, just from dealing with so many executive teams. And um, he, he obviously uses humor in, very well in his <laughs> descriptions of of, of things and best practices. So this will be a good, good conversation. So uh, with that, let's, uh, we'll bring in Sarah Dokovich, who will uh, run the interview here with, with Stuart. Um, Sarah and Stuart, we'll turn it over to you. Oftentimes the lines can be blurry as to the role the board of directors plays in a digital transformation journey. Stuart Robb is here today to share his insights on the value that key company stakeholders bring to the table in ensuring a software implementation is successful. Stuart is the Vice President of Third Stage Consulting Europe, an independent and technology agnostic digital transformation consulting firm. He and his team have worked with some of the world's leading organizations in their digital transformation journeys 
and have helped many organizations, both local and international, transform their digital landscape successfully. Stuart, thank you for joining us today. Hi, how are you doing? I'm very well. Hopefully you're well as well. Um, now, I'm curious about the dynamics of digital transformation when it comes to the role that the board plays. So how involved do you typically see a board of directors being for the clients you've worked with and helped throughout a digital transformation? Um, I think it is true to say it varies um, a lot from company to company. Um, and I think as well, it depends on what the board structure is, um, particularly if you've got a CEO who is also the chairman, um, you tend to find that other board members, the executive C-suite members will be involved, but the NEDs maybe not so much. Whereas if you're in a PLC or a FTSE, uh, or sorry, a Fortune 500 company where those roles are changed uh, and the board uh, chairman and the CEO are separated, you tend to find that the board want a bit more information. They're a bit more inquisitive. Um, so there's no real, um, there's no real uh, single answer. I've tended to find that in a lot of SME organizations, um, the board uh, tend to demure the ERP transformations to the operational uh, uh, and the operational issues that arise from that to the C-suite execs. Whereas again, in larger companies, they tend to want to find out more and they tend to want their own information. So it really depends on, on board to board. Awesome. And are the transformation projects more or less successful when the board is actively involved in the process? Um, I, I, I think the answer is yes. Um, I mean, I think it goes back again to how that board is structured. I mean, the, 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 the board is there uh, not only to, to measure the C-suite's um, progress uh, towards developing the strategy and growing the company, but the board's other role is to foresee risk and to help work with the C-suites to mitigate that risk. And so given the profile of ERPs as being a high cost investment that's fraught with risk, you'll find some uh, organizations where the board get very proactively involved and want to know the detail. And then others where the board is more passive and, you know, if they get any update about it at all, um, you know, are getting um, a, a very thin slice of what's really going on. Um, and in fact, I mean, that's one of the things we we'll talk about it a little bit later about the business breakfast. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's one of the things that we wanted to explore a little bit in more detail is how, you know, different organizations see the role of the board in terms of their accountability for the success of an ERP, especially given the amount of money that these things cost. I mean, five or 6% of annual revenue spent on an ERP implementation is a significant uh, you know, block of money off the shareholder returns. And if it all gets um, written off, you know, then, then the shareholders usually have something difficult to say about it. So um, I think one of the other areas as well, um, I've tended to find actually the private equity uh, take a much more interventionist and a much close, uh, much closer to um, ERP implementations. And obviously they are 
represented on the board. So again, it depends on the type of company structure. You know, you can go into a large PLC and never meet a board member and, and uh, as, a, as a senior on an ERP program. Um, but most of the ones where I've been involved with private equity, they want to speak to you and they want to speak to you quite regularly. So it, it really does depend on the kind of organization. Fair, yeah. And what can the board do to ensure an ERP and or digital transformation doesn't fail? Um, well, I think, uh, again, you know, this is one of the things we want to do on the 26th is just get some experiences um, from C-suites and from non-execs um, to have that sort of discussion. I mean, I have my own hypothesis, um, which is that the more inquisitive um, a board is, especially some of the non-execs who are there to help and advise the board, um, the more people and the more experience you're sharing that knowledge with and therefore the more likely you are to see a problem coming. Um, and it's not exclusively but you know there are always warning signs in an ERP even early on that it's going to go off track um, and so you know the, the, the board's participation um, and the board's inquisitiveness in how that's going and what's happening and offering, you know, advice support, um, you know, it's one end of the scale and then the other end of the scale I've seen in a couple of organizations, I mean, they do formal risk analysis. So the board actually, it's not the C-suite, the board appoints an independent assurer um, and that assurance company comes in once a month, once every four months, three months or whatever it is, and they provide an independent assurance of report that goes precisely to the board, you know, and, and, and the board look at that in the same way they would look at the audit results or the, you know, the recommendations from the remuneration committee kept, you know, at arm's length from the, from the executive operation of the company. So you know, there are lots of options and there's lots of, you know, there's a big span of, of how these things work. Yeah. So basically, based on what you're saying, the board and other key company stakeholders alike play a huge role in the success of a digital transformation. Well, it's that they're, they're the people that are doing the work, mm -hmm. you know, to, to safeguard the shareholders and uh, the investors' investment in the firm. Mm -hmm. So if the company is making a big investment, like an ERP or a digital transformation, and the board aren't involved, you know, my question would be, why not? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I believe that you're going to be talking about this more in depth um, at the Digital Transformation Business Breakfast coming up in just a couple of weeks too, right? We are on the 26th of February. Awesome. We'll look forward to that as well. So when we come back from a quick break, Stuart and I are going to discuss the matter of the board's presence in a software implementation in a little bit more detail. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology-agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices 
at thirdstageconsulting.com. Welcome back to the Digital Stratosphere podcast. I'm Sarah Dirkovich speaking with Stuart Robb from Third Stage Consulting, discussing the true role the board of directors plays during a company's digital transformation. So various blogs and videos the Third Stage team has put out have stressed the importance of executive alignment. So does getting alignment from the board of directors fall into this category or is this um, the approach and significance of getting the board's alignment differ in any way from getting alignment from, say, the C-suite? Yeah, I, it's, it's a good question. And uh, actually, even getting alignment in the C-suite can sometimes be pretty tricky. Mm -hmm. um, I remember a ERP that I was working on a number of years ago. Um, and um, we always had a tricky relationship, shall I say, with the head of customer services. And um, we could never figure out why until I happened to stumble upon the fact that he was goal aligned and his bonus was completely diametrically opposite to the goals of the transformation that we were doing. And so he was quasi supportive because he needed to be seen to be supportive. But if we were successful, his bonus pool would actually go down. And of course, once I found that out and we had that discussion with the CEO, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we were able to put in place a, a package that fixed that. But, um, you know, those things can be pretty tricky um, to, to unpick. And then when you add a layer of politics over the top of that as well, uh, you know, who likes who, who doesn't like who, um, you know, getting that even executive alignment can be um, a, a bit of a minefield. Um, I actually think that the board in terms of the board of directors um, is slightly different. Um, if that oversight role is working well and that support role is working well, then the board will always be challenging and supporting the C-suite execs to implement the strategy and therefore their support and their challenge should be the same for an ERP initiative as it is for anything, any other big strategy play that the C-suite execs might suggest, you know, if it's an acquisition or if it's a divestment or anything else. I see digital transformation is in the same category of change. But again, it goes back to um, what I said a little bit earlier, which is around the, um, you know, the role of the board and how that functions um, tends to be different in every company um, and you'll find large companies have a much bigger separation of board and executive C-suites whereas some of the smaller ones don't so um, a, a well-functioning board you know will take an interest in the initiative because it is a big investment and they will challenge and support in equal measure. Awesome thank you for clarifying that. Now I wanted to ask you about this business breakfast can you tell us a little bit more about it yeah so um uh, there's an awful lot of misinformation going around um uh the market about what digital transformation is um and what to expect from it um and even the word digital transformation is much abused by lots of different people and um the other thing that i've tended to find is that um, I, I tend to come across 
um, two types of senior leader or board director. One who has done an ERP, who thought it was an absolute horror story and never ever wants to do one again. And the other who's never had the horror story of having done an ERP and doesn't really know what they are. Mm -hmm. So um, I thought there was an opportunity for us to get out uh, a little bit and evangelize, but also to explain um, what leading practice thinking is on ERP, how board members can get involved and give them a bit of information about you know, the current topics and the current issues in ERP, but also give them the opportunity to discuss with their own colleagues uh, and peers, you know, their experiences, any of their key learnings, uh, what worked for them, what doesn't work. So that you're kind of building a little community of um, senior executives um, who have a point of view on, on ERP. So in April, for example, so this one is around the board's role in ERP and how to make it successful and what to watch out for. Um, April, we're doing one on frontier technologies and what the barriers to adoption are. So things like artificial intelligence, and I know a lot of people are talking about that, but there are actually a lot of use cases for AI at the moment. So we'll talk a little bit about, you know, what's the real truth behind adoption um, in artificial intelligence and uh, machine learning and those kind of frontier technologies. Uh, and then March, we're doing one uh, on ERP due diligence, uh, sorry, April, we're doing one on ERP due diligence um, for private equity acquisitions, so or mostly private equity, but in fact, any company that's considering investing in a in a, acquiring another company, what are the things that you should watch out for uh, in looking at their technology um, architecture and their, their technology stack, and what are the red flags that you should watch out for? So um, we got uh, eleven of these lined up, um, and uh, so that's just the sort of the, the rest of the quarter what we're planning on doing with those. That's awesome. And it sounds like a really great opportunity to not only learn more about an important topic, but also to network with other leaders in the industry. So yeah. how, how can our listeners register for this event? Um, well, so very simple. If you're a C-suite exec or a board level director, the easiest way to register is to drop an email to events at thirdstage-consulting.com, which hopefully by the magic of technology will appear somewhere down the bottom. Um, or maybe up the top, or who knows where it's going to be. Um, but, but yeah, the easiest way is to email that address. We will then send you back a web link with a registration form, and you'll get a, a link for Zoom um, uh, a little bit nearer the event. It's the 26th uh, of February. It's for, mostly aimed at Europe because it's very early in the morning for the US. Um, so we're starting at 8 a.m. in Europe, but if any U.S. Uh, C-suite or non-exec colleagues would like to join it at 10 o'clock at night, they are very, very, very welcome. Um, so that's 8 a.m. London, 9 a.m. Central European time. And we are limiting the spaces on this just because we want to uh, keep the sessions interactive um, and, and, and generate, stimulate a conversation. Of course, you find you've got 500 people on um, you know, people tend not to say anything at all. So um, we're, 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 we're book early for Christmas. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. And we're about out of time, but I wanted to thank you so much for being here today and for sharing these powerful insights with us today. No problem at all. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. And I wanted to thank all of you for listening today as well. Again, my name is Sarah Dokovic. It will see you next time on our next episode of the Digital Stratosphere podcast. All right. Thank you, Stuart and Sarah. I appreciate that. That's a, a great conversation on a very important topic that is hopefully helpful to the, to the audience here and in really understanding what the board's role and the executive team's role is in transformation, or at least what it should be in transformation. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to shift gears and talk about business intelligence. We're going to bring Sarah back, but she's going to have a new guest, uh, Brian LaCaruba from the third stage team, who's going to talk about business intelligence and what it means and how it fits into transformation. We'll get to that when we come back with more from Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find the podcast uh, every Wednesday. We go live on YouTube. You can also find us every Wednesday on all the popular podcast platforms, uh, Apple, um, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, whatever podcast platform you use, we're probably on it. So be sure to subscribe there, give us a review, and uh, share it with your friends as well or your, your colleagues. So we're going to shift gears here and talk about uh, business intelligence. We're going to have Brian LaCaruba from our team, uh, from the third stage team here, um, talk with Sarah about business intelligence. Um, now, is this an area that you know much about, Kyler, or do you, do you hear a lot about this in, in the marketing? I hear a lot about it. I know absolutely nothing about it. Um, you know, Brian Lekaruba is is one of my uh, favorite people to work with here at Third Stage just because he has that technical mind. You know, when I asked him a question, he's like, but what does that actually mean? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, I think he's a, a great um a great stakeholder to talk to this, but when when it comes to business intelligence, if you could just define the word or the term, I think that's a great place to start because it's so heavy and technical. Yeah, it's it is, and and I guess a way to maybe simplify it would be to you know think of it as reporting on steroids, you know, analytics and reporting on steroids. So you take sort of your you know historically you know when you when you think of business intelligence, you'd think, okay, well, I'm just going to run a report that tells me what my P&L is or what my, you know, inventory levels are, or inventory discrepancies, whatever, you know, report you want. This is a business intelligence nowadays. It really takes it a step further and, and, and augments that view of the world with more of a perspective of what can we do with the data we have to make information out of it and also to help make decisions and in some cases automate some decisions, uh, or to at the very least queue up the data we need to, to make more informative decisions. 
So it's really just an understanding of taking this masses, these masses of data that, cap, that get captured every day in your ERP system or any organization's enterprise technology and compiling it and putting it together in a way that actually makes sense and helps you make decisions and you know, drive the business forward. Yeah. And, and Eric, where does this fit in a digital transformation? Um, you know, is it supporting, does it play a main role or, or where should it, where should the focus be for any sort of business transformation project in regards to business intelligence? Well, it shouldn't be, I'll tell you what it should not be. It should not be a afterthought that, that comes at the end of a project. It's sort of the necessary evil, like, oh yeah, we've got to figure out all our reports now and figure out how we're going to configure that. That's where it should not be. Um, but more specifically, where it should be is, you know, pulling that forward and really clearly defining how, you know, what, first of all, what kind of information are you missing now as an organization? So, you know, that's a good place to start to say, you know, what, if you just forget about the technology and what it can or can't do, and just look at what information would you like to have to be able to make decisions and to be able to better understand your business and that sort of thing. That's usually a, a really good place to start because usually organizations and teams have these gaps and deficiencies in their current business intelligence or reporting environment. Um, but beyond that, then you start, you can also look at what are some of the sort of boilerplate or off the shelf, out of the box sorts of reports or dashboards or analytics that the technology provides? Maybe that'll give me some ideas as well. So usually when you put those two things together, what you, you know, you think you want to have that you don't have, and there's probably reports you already have that you want to maintain, but then also look at what you could be getting out of the system, put that together. And that usually gives you a sort of a roadmap or a vision of what you could be um, doing from a BI perspective. Right. So kind of going back to that more operation data focused conversation that we had earlier about, um, you know, kind of cleaning up your side of the street before you, you know, are going into any sort of implementation. Um, and it sounds like, you know, there's a lot of OCM involved in this organizational change management, too, when it comes to creating automations as well. Yeah. So definitely really important to kind of keep everything parallel path, I would assume. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and get ahead of it too, you know, sp spend time up front doing that stuff, even though there's a lot of other things you want to be doing or should be doing as well. You also want to make sure you, you don't lose sight of this thread. Yeah, definitely. And then uh, again, just to reference a blog for someone that has no, you know, background in business intelligent, intelligence, um, Brian Lacaruba wrote a blog on that and, and gave a really interesting example about payroll system automation. And I felt like that was a great way to kind of um, simplify what does actually business intelligence mean. So for anyone looking for more really baseline information like myself, feel free to check that out. Um, Cause that was really, you know, it, it really um, outlined it perfectly for me. Yeah. 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 And, and so, you know, speaking of, of Brian and, and resources related to business intelligence, let's, let's uh, cut over to, to Sarah and Brian now, and uh, we'll bring back Sarah Dokovich again and she'll, uh, run this interview here with Brian LaCariba about business intelligence. So we'll turn it over to you, Sarah and Brian. Today we have a Third Stage Consulting Group's Brian LaCariba on the show with us to discuss the importance of business intelligence. We'll be talking about how to use business intelligence tools to avoid digital transformation failure and ultimately drive DTP success. As most of you know by now, Third Stage Consulting Group is an independent and technology agnostic digital transformation consulting firm. They have guided hundreds of organizations through their transformation journeys 
And Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Absolutely. Now, if you don't mind, I'd like to start with a little business intelligence 101, as some of our listeners may not be familiar with that term. So let's break down the term business intelligence. Can you give me like a quick definition of business intelligence? Is it like more to it than a buzzword like machine learning and artificial intelligence? Or what does it come into play for a typical organization? Yes, it is much more than those buzzwords for sure. At its most basic level, uh, BI is just about how an organization manages and uses uses its data. It's one of its critical assets, and it's it goes. It should be going much beyond the way that organizations have traditionally done it to be able to get insights into how you need to conduct business. It's really taking your raw data and turning it into actionable information. That's really the key, making it actionable. Uh, and organizations usually start with a tool we don't think of as a BI tool, but it's Excel. That is BI at its most basic and uh, simple. And uh, there's a lot more you need to do than Excel to have an effective BI program, but that is uh, encapsulates the basic concepts, being able to take that data you use in an organization and turn it into something that your users can use to make decisions. Awesome, cool. And business intelligence has everything to do with data, like keeping track of it, managing it, um, and also learning from it. But how does business intelligence differ from data analytics and reporting? Do those two kind of go hand in hand? They absolutely go hand in hand. And the relationships between the terms, to me, the overlaps are more important than the distinctions between them. So if we look at the importance of reporting, it's it's a critical element of BI about being able to take data and present it in formats to an end user, to an employee that are going to help them to make decisions and being able to pull that out in a way that can help them. Data analytics is a critical skill set as well. In, in your organization, you need to be able to have the capabilities to know what your data is telling you, how to use it, how to analyze it, and uh, make important decisions that you need to make based on it. But the other element of business intelligence we really need to be thinking about is the strategic area of how do you plan uh, your data? How do you make sure you're capturing the things that you need and building your processes around the data that you're going to have accessible so that your business can run your operations and align your activities and business processes around the data that you have and actually use that to improve your performance? Okay, awesome. And what is dirty data and how does that affect an organization's business intelligence efforts? So dirty data is a major problem in business intelligence uh, efforts. It, uh, it encompasses so many ways in which data can be incomplete or inaccurate and it can really work against uh, your, your program and your goals. Uh, without a foundation of clean data, you may end up having um, your, your efforts could hurt you more than they help in a lot of ways. You could be making the wrong decisions based on the wrong information. So you may have sales data that has different definitions of sales that vary between parts of the organization, or you may be missing data for certain regions or products that are giving you uh, an impression of your organization that's incorrect. And you may be allocating resources the wrong way, making decisions on where you want to focus your energies based on wrong information and actually go down a wrong path if you don't have clean data. So, um, Getting, addressing the causes of dirty data and building in the mechanisms to eliminate it and support you as an organization is one of the most critical aspects. Oh, wow. I had no idea. <laughs> so <that's it. laughs> I love how perfectly you explain it too. So that's awesome. And when it comes to digital transformation, it seems like organizations either will succeed or fail uh, with no middle ground in between them. So in what ways does a business intelligence make it easier for a digital transformation project to succeed? So 
at its heart, the digital transformation program is really about, it's not about technology. It's about changing the behaviors of an organization. And you need to be able to use technology and take advantage of the technology to do that. But the technology itself isn't what solves your problems. It, it is about uh, putting your people in a position to make the right decisions and serve your customers in the right way. So your business intelligence program is uh, really about being able to get the right data in front of the right people at the right time in a way that lets them do things differently. Because even if they have the most advanced technology in the world, if people don't have access to what they need to know to, to use that correctly and to make decisions based on, on the way things are, you'll either end up doing things the way you used to do them with an expensive system that's not uh, getting you there, or uh, you may end up with even more problems as, as an organization if you're just failing to uh, try to adapt your processes and do what you need to do. So the, the business intelligence uh, efforts are really gonna be about helping you uh, get the right data to the right people and, and help them make the right decisions they need to make to take advantage of that technology. Ah, okay, makes sense. And what are the pitfalls that come with implementing business intelligence tools and how can organizations do their best to avoid this type of failure? So one of the biggest ones we just talked about a moment ago is dirty data uh, and making sure that you have a data governance program in place uh, that's going to help to manage that. And it's not as if uh, it's it's never uh, growing and evolving effort as an organization. So if you don't have anything in place on day one, uh, you want to start by getting getting some structure around that and making sure that you start start building some definition around how are you going to assign the right people to be overseeing your data and make sure that the the problems that are going to creep into data over time are uh, prevented and dealt with and that you're able to keep your data in a in a clean place. So the the data is really at the core of your business intelligence effort. So you need to put that focus in up front. Uh, another area too, uh, a little bit downstream from the data is then gonna touch on your business processes and how they're they're making use of the insights that you get out of business intelligence. So again, this, this ties into the previous answer around it's changing the behaviors of the organization. So if you think of um, technology as solving a business need on its own, if you put the right data in front of people and make it available to them, it's just gonna automatically change your behaviors. That's that's going to cause you a lot of problems because you're not going to help people see the see the way they need to operate differently and evolve uh, their practices in order to take advantage of things. So those those are two of the big pitfalls that organizations really need to focus on. And yeah, no, those two are, are super super important. And I wanted to ask you maybe could you like give us some examples of how business intelligence tools are being used in the market today? So like which brands products um, are mm -hmm. the most well known? Yeah, so the, the BI market is uh, not necessarily dominated by individual players in, in as much as you might see in, say, the ERP market, but you do see some uh, some leaders in the field. So Tableau is one of the biggest and best known. It's now owned by Salesforce, and uh, Tableau really got their start through really powerful and easy to create visualizations, and that's still a strength, and they're starting to expand more into other aspects around the data storage and uh, ability to tap into multiple data sources. Uh, SAP, still a big player in business intelligence with their business objects suite. Uh, Microsoft is uh, definitely a big player. They have the Power BI suite, which is the, 
very easy to use. You can almost think of it in many ways as, a, as the next evolution of Excel and of powerful reporting tools and of being able to put things in a very user-friendly format for people that they're familiar with. And they also have their more developer-focused tools like uh, SQL reporting services and, and other elements like that. So those are, those are some of the most commonly used uh, players, but it is definitely a market that's evolving and has a lot of ones who may not be quite as big, but are also very strong tools with a, with a good niche in the market. Yeah, absolutely. So it just sounds like there, you know, there's a number of offerings on the market right now, which means more availability and innovation for those looking for tools to support their digital transformations too. So we're going to have a short break, but when we do come back, we're going to dive further into business intelligence and the human side of automation. So stick around and we'll be right back. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Welcome back to the Digital Stratosphere podcast. I'm Sarah Dugovich speaking with Brian LaCaruba of Third Stage Consulting on the topic of business intelligence. And without further ado, let's jump right back in, shall we? So, we started off our discussion with the definition of business intelligence and how um, it can be a powerful force for digital transformation. Now, let's talk about the human side of the business intelligence equation. So they say a good carpenter is only as good as his tools. So how does this translate to implementing business intelligence tools? So as we talked about earlier, Sarah, the key is having the changes in behavior that you need as an organization that, that you're uh, data and your access to information is going to enable. So you really need to be able to put people in a position to make decisions based on on the right information and be able to um, access that in, in a way that uh, fits into the way that they do their jobs on a on a day to day basis. And that's going to have to change too. There, there, you often have uh, going into a business intelligence initiative people who have been used to doing things a certain way for a long time and they've gotten very competent about working around uh, the limitations of their system and their data and making their own uh, intuitions and uh, interpretations of what they know and what they see. But now you're gonna be asking them to rely on uh, better information uh, that's aggregated across different sources to be able to pull that. So um, people need to have those uh, tools that are going to help them to be able to do that, but you also need to help support them in making that transition of understanding that the need that a lot of what they may have done before uh, using their experience and knowledge is something that's now going to be served up to them and that they need to uh, adapt the way that they use that information and uh, can, they'll be able to do a lot more with it, but it is a change of behavior that they need to adapt. Absolutely. And BI is shaping future workforces by automating many manual tasks, but I think it's important to note that these technologies still depend on humans to pull meaning from insights and transform that knowledge into action. So knowing this, what can we expect the workforce to look like in the near future and how can organizations ease the transition as some workers' roles take on a new shape? 
Well, connected to what we just talked about, it's something that people are and knowledge workers are going to have to get more and more comfortable with uh, having having data that they trust and being able to rely on the information in front of them to be able to then make decisions uh, based on that point. And uh, obviously that goes hand in hand with the idea you need to give people data that they can trust. You need to give people a reason that they can trust it. But uh, assuming that you do that, and that's a, that's a big assumption, but that's a key part of an initiative. If you can, if you can get that right information to people, uh, they need to be able to work from that starting point of knowing uh, what's in that data, how they can uh, interpret it to serve their customers, to serve their other stakeholders, and be able to get really comfortable with the idea of relying on uh, drawing insights from the actionable data that's put in front of them. And you're always still going to need the people there who are going to need to connect dots that the data is not going to do on its own, that are going to be able to know what they're hearing from their customers, know what they're hearing from their teammates, and be able to make sense of, of those inputs as well as what they're getting from their data. Awesome, absolutely, totally agree. And one aspect of digital transformation that often goes neglected, uh, neglected rather, is organizational change management. So for example, helping employees navigate changes in processes and technologies. Um, what advice can you give to businesses when it comes to helping people cope with change at the organizational level? My advice will generally start with the idea that this is a bigger challenge than you think it is. This is, uh, it's easy to, and we've touched on this earlier as well, but it's easy to think that if you get good information in front of people who have been relying on uh, less good information that they're suddenly going to be able to do their jobs more effectively, but that's not always the case. Uh, no matter how good someone is at what they do and that they're even maybe more so for people who have been doing something for a long time and are very capable in it and have a lot of pride in their work. They also have a lot of pride in what they've been able to do with the information they have and of developing their processes and their day-to-day -day routines around the information that's in front of them. So it is a, there are going to be a lot of shifts that often need to be made uh, for people to get used to doing things in a very different way and to be starting from a different point of having uh, some of the data in front of them that they've been putting a lot of time and effort into interpreting uh, for themselves in the past. So, um, and then you making different decisions and being able to uh, be a little bit more strategic in the way they're acting based on the data that they have in front of them that gives them the capability to look across the organization in different ways, to draw conclusions about uh, perhaps different product lines, different views of the customer that they may see from having uh, aggregated data across uh, different areas of the company. Awesome. Great advice. And if you were to say, like, make a BI checklist for organizations interested in getting started with BI technologies, what would your top three steps be? Start with strategic alignment, making sure that as an organization, you have agreement on what the business goals of your program are. This is, again, it's not a technology project, it's a business project. So make sure you're focused on what are your goals. Data governance, we've talked a lot about make sure that you have a plan in place and you're actively working towards uh, ensuring data quality uh, within your organization. And change management, uh, again, touching on the theme we just uh, addressed, people are going to need to do things differently to achieve your BI objectives. So you need to be able to give them the tools to help support them in that effort. Fantastic, awesome. Well, thanks for sharing those insights with us. And I'm definitely sure that this episode has given many business leaders a lot to think about when it comes to developing their own digital strategies. So as you are a walking encyclopedia of digital transformation knowledge, do you have any suggestions or suggested resources for those looking to dig deeper into business intelligence? Sure, I can mention a couple of resources that uh, I 
like to use one of them is uh, TDWI or Transforming Data with Intelligence. They've been around for uh, some time and have a lot of good uh, knowledge and resources available for people. Uh, one uh, who also is one of the players in the software space that I didn't talk about is SAS. They've been on the, the leading edge of uh, analytics for a long time, and they have a lot of advanced tools as well as some more basic information as well. So they're a great uh, resource for information. But uh, of course, another option I, I would recommend is third stage consulting. You know, we can certainly help you out in terms of how your business intelligence initiative should be connecting to your overall transformation objectives. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for sharing all your expertise with us today. That's been amazing. You're welcome. I'm happy to be a part of this. Absolutely. And that is a wrap for this episode. So I want to thank you, Brian, again, for being here and for all of you for listening. And again, my name is Sarah Dokovic, and we'll see you next time on the next episode of the Digital Stratosphere podcast. All right. Thank you, Brian and Sarah. appreciate that. Uh, great conversation on business intelligence, uh, an often overlooked aspect of transformation. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're actually going to play you a clip from uh, one of the keynote sessions that, that I gave at our Digital Stratosphere conference just a few weeks ago. Um, you can check that out right after the break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology-agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. Happy to have you here today, and we're, we're excited for this next next segment where we're going to uh, actually play you a keynote session from our Digital Stratosphere Conference. And this is a, a, a session I've given many times in the past, but what are your what are your thoughts on this particular topic, uh, Kyler, that we're going to tee up here today? Yeah, I think um, when we were going through day one, this piece, and we got feedback from our audience, that this was the most um, really well-packaged session with actual tactics. A lot of our other sessions talked about the importance of different subjects and, and gave recommendations, sure, but this one was really an, an overhaul of, of how to ensure that your digital transformation was successful. Um, and I know you were joined by some of your actual project team as well um, that kind of gave input on actual clients that they were working with. Um, and best practices there too. So definitely, I think this is a great one to share at any point in your digital transformation. Um, if you're just, you know, considering it or, you know, well into the implementation phase, there's a, a little bit of something for everybody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, and you make a good point too, that it, it was uh, a co-presentation co with Adam uh, Cheatham from our team who um, is a director of strategy and transformation at the company and who you happen to be married to, uh, by the way, for the audience that doesn't know that. 
I do know him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if you listen very carefully, you might just hear just yep. the, the faint sound of Adam in the background when you're talking. Rumbling in the background. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, and that's a good presentation that he and I both give to different clients and whatnot. And um, he has some good examples in that in presentation. And I think too, this is a good, um, this presentation was intended to be sort of a, not a capstone, but more of an introductory session for executives, especially, or people that just don't know a ton about transformation or what to expect. This is meant to be sort of a flyover summary of what are the steps and tactics that you should be taking or thinking about as part of your transformation. Yeah, so. definitely. And and just to remind our audience, um, this was actually the closing presentation um, for day one. So if you want to see the full um, day one presentation, it's available on our website, and then also on our YouTube channel as well. And, and as Eric said, we'll put some links up there so you can see each session in its entirety. Um, and then always, we, we'd love to hear your feedback. I think um, a lot of times people don't understand how approachable um, Eric and the third stage executive team are. They, they love to hear from the audience when it comes to um, topics or questions. They truly are incredibly passionate about this work. Um, and I know that and, you know, being married to one of uh, your directors as well um, about how they really do um, care about their clients. So if you do have feedback or questions, um, please feel free to pop them in the comments or you can definitely reach out to Eric directly or myself as well. Um, I'm happy to, to field any of those too. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. And we've included contact information for myself and, and for you in the, the description below uh, in, the, in this podcast description. So feel free to reach out if you have questions on anything we talk about in this podcast or transformation in general. So good deal. Well, we're going to, we'll go ahead and cue this up then. And uh, so here is the executive summary of digital transformation best practices keynote session that uh, Adam Cheatham and I delivered uh, at Stratosphere a few weeks ago. We'll go ahead and cut to that right now. This is a presentation that Adam and I often give uh, to new clients and or executive teams uh, at new clients just to help them understand, you know, what are, you know, if we have to give you a summary view of what it's going to take to be successful in a project and what it's going to take to navigate some of the pitfalls and avoid some of the failure points that Marcus talked about earlier today, um, what are those things? And and really building on both what Marcus and Stuart talked about earlier as well as what I talked about in the opening session. So we want to just provide an executive summary of, of transformation best practices. And uh, Adam, chime in at any point, uh, add color commentary, cut me off, and certainly uh, anyone else who wants to jump in and, and interrupt with questions or, first of all, you're not interrupting, but uh, you know what I mean, just chime in with any any chat questions you have in the chat box there, either uh, um, on whatever platform you're you're watching this on. And I'm keeping an eye here on LinkedIn as well for anyone that might, might uh, have comments on LinkedIn that's watching there. Um, so the uh, first thing to understand is, Diving a little bit deeper into understanding what is digital transformation, what is that overview of what digital transformation is? And we've talked a lot about this um, between Stuart's presentation and mine, uh, just some of the emerging technologies, the different words and acronyms and types of technology that are used in digital transformation. I guess the, the short summary without rehashing everything that Stuart just talked about, there, there's, a stuff about there. there's a lot of technology emerging. There's a lot of options when it comes to digital transformation. Digital transformation can mean a lot of different things to different people and to different organizations. And it should mean different things to different organizations. It should align with what, what it is you're trying to accomplish. And, um, and that's one of the keys to, to keep in mind. 
and and there is no one size fits all answer there's no cookie cutter approach there's no silver bullet i mean I, hopefully that's a theme that you're picking up on here with with us and our technology agnostic view of the world is that you know what might work for one organization doesn't make sense for another organization and vice versa so we've got to figure out what the right path forward is for us uh, as an organization and one thing that is helpful though to understand and again there's no right or wrong answer here is to understand you know what is a true digital transformation versus a more of a traditional technology implementation and i you know in this slide here we compare call it your traditional erp implementation that you know would have been relevant 20 years ago to maybe a more comprehensive bigger picture view of digital transformation which is what you see on the right and and again i even though i think the the bias here is to assume that digital transformation is better than ERP implementation or traditional technology implementation, that may or may not be true. It really does just depend on what it is you're, you're trying to accomplish. For a lot of organizations doing a more incremental improvement or upgrade to their existing ERP system or their enterprise technologies can make a lot of sense, especially if what you've got is a pretty good starting point, especially if uh, you're risk adverse, especially if you have other competing priorities that you don't want to throw in a big massive transformation in the middle of then a more incremental ERP implementation can make a lot of sense. For other organizations, maybe on the other extreme, you're gonna have more massive um, external impacts that might force you into a transformation. So for example, you look at um, industries such as retail um, that's being disrupted significantly or was already being disrupted significantly and then COVID came along and disrupted it even more. And retail is a good example of an industry that if they haven't digitally transformed yet, they're way behind and they're, they're being forced to uh, in that space. And so in most organizations are going to be somewhere in the middle. They're going to be somewhere between, you know, small incremental baby steps and big, massive transformation. Most organizations are going to be in the spectrum or the, the continuum uh, somewhere in the middle. So the key here is to understand, you know, what is the difference between the two uh, extremes? And most importantly is to, is to really have clarity and definition of what exactly it is where where we fall on the continuum and that's really the key is if there's one takeaway i could leave you with on this slide it's just be sure you understand what it is you're trying to accomplish are you trying to accomplish an incremental call it traditional erp technology upgrade or implementation or are you really trying to swing for the fences and really look for ways to improve your processes significantly and to rethink your business model and to standardize processes or to integrate processes whatever the Whatever the goals and objectives are, those are all the things that you want to uh, try uh, to make sure you have alignment and clarity on. Now, when you look through each of the line items here, you know, with the technology, the process management, change management, business value, all the, the row headings uh, that you see on the left, you can see what the differences are between the two. And, and again, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just a matter of being clear about where it is you, you are and making sure your team's clear about where it is you fall on this continuum and then defining a path forward that aligns with that uh, clarity. So I mentioned in the first presentation today that one of the biggest challenges or one of the biggest root causes of failure is lack of alignment and misalignment as an organization. And this is a good example of how teams oftentimes get really misaligned. They go in thinking that, for example, They'll go in thinking that, hey, we're going to do this big, massive digital transformation. We're going to implement enterprise-wide technology. We're going to rethink our business processes. We're going to reimagine the art of the possible and all these you know, big buzzwords that 
industry analysts and us consultants like to throw out there. But then when they go to execute, to plan and execute, they treat it like an ERP implementation. They, they plan as though they're managing a more uh, you know, traditional ERP upgrade. And that right there, you're starting out of the gates with misalignment and you've got an unrealistic view of what the path forward really should be versus what it is. And you can see how quickly you get pretty tangled up and your team's going to get tangled up and, and it can be very difficult to um, to succeed in that kind of environment when you have those sort of headwinds working working against you. So that's that's one of the big challenges um, that we see, you know, in this. And so that's that's probably the big takeaway here is just really understand what it is you're trying to accomplish between ERP implementation, digital transformation, or somewhere in between and getting alignment on what that means to the overall transformation and, and the overall plan. I think something that's important on that to note as well is that from an ERP implementation perspective, that's a bit more of a prescriptive technological solution, uh, whereas the digital transformation is something that is, should be ongoing. You should always be transforming your business to, to remain at the forefront of, of your industry and is a bit more driven towards what the, the organization and your business needs as opposed to uh, a specific solution that would solve a, a number of your potential digital transformation needs and goals, um, but shouldn't be the actual answer. So as, as an enabler, the ERP um, is the technology that enables a, a pretty significant chunk of your digital transformation, but isn't the actual transformation itself. Yeah, great, great point. Um, and it's a, that's an important uh, takeaway there is to ensure you've got that understanding uh, going in here. Um, the other thing to think about too, is what, what are those challenges of digital transformation? And this is actually a, uh, a top five list based on uh, our research and experience. And we published this in our, our 2021 digital transformation report, which um, you can download on our website and something tells me that Kyla is probably going to put up a link in the chat box. Like she has been throughout the, <laughs> throughout the whole, the whole session here today so that we'll have a link there for you to potentially uh, do that but um in that study or in that uh paper that you'll see uh, the top challenges that organizations face and this isn't just our opinion this is what organizations state and what the project teams are saying are their challenges and, and issues they face the number one uh challenge is, is change management and managing the people uh, part of the the equation um the second thing is misalignment with strategic strategic objectives um and that's the key that we were just talking about on the previous slide just making sure that there's a, a good deal of clarity on on what that those strategic objectives are and how this transformation lines up with that and then number three is managing uh the the system integrator and making sure that you don't view the system integrator as an end-all be-all uh, as a one-stop shop because they really aren't they, they may be a one-stop shop in terms of the technology work stream but when you look at the business process and the organizational change work streams that's typically areas that system integrators are not are not very uh, well versed in or if they do have competencies in that area it's very superficial and it's very much focused on the technology and how to use the technology versus how to transform the business and define business processes and, and that sort of thing so um, that difficulty managing the, the system integrator is a big challenge. And then number four is clarity of business processes, um, making sure that um, you have clarity around uh, what those, those business processes are going to be. And then fifth is difficulties with data migration. 
so those are really the top five uh, challenges that that organizations um, face. And I, I'm getting some comments here that the, the slide is blurry and there's there is a lot of texture, a lot going on here. But hopefully you can read at least read the bullet or the uh, the bolded areas. And if not, I've, I've verbalized uh, for you what those five things are. And, and again, we'll we'll uh, make sure you have a link or you do have a link here in the chat box. If you want to download that report, you can actually see this exact graphic in that report. So if you want to check that that's probably going to be easier for you to read or refer back to. And it, and it actually goes into more detail on these five areas as well in that report. So uh, if you're if you're watching here on Crowdcast, just be sure you, you click that link to, to get the report. So one thing I'll note here is that none of these five things except for maybe the fifth one uh, the data migration one uh, really have anything to do with the the technology or, or the software itself these are all issues related to business processes organizational change and uh you know i'd call it project governance as well so um, just food for thought there as you think about where are you most likely going to run into trouble i heard marcus say yeah you sometimes do have issues with technology and you can certainly find a way to mess that up if you start to customize software if you don't you know really think things through or test the software you can certainly run into issues there but uh, back to a point i made in the first session it's usually fairly black and white or relatively black and white on the technology side either the technology works or it doesn't from a technical perspective but the gray area comes down to yes it works technically but does it work for our business for our organization and that gray area is where most organizations struggle, where most organizations don't spend enough time and money. And uh, so it's, it's really a matter of maybe shifting your mindset a little bit to focus more on those other areas. And then another challenge that, that we see is that in that same report, in that same link that you, you see that, that Kyla provided here, um, you can see that one of the biggest challenges that organizations face is this whole concept of operational disruption. So we spend so much time thinking about what is the what is our cost of implementation? How long is it going to take? How much um, how much of people's time is it going to take? And we we tend to try to optimize or minimize that amount of time without or, or that amount of time and that overall cost without thinking about the longer term implications. Yes, we could certainly cut costs and reduce the implementation duration and reduce the amount of impact that this has to our resources during the implementation. We could always do that but the question becomes but what does that do longer term to our total cost of ownership the total cost of the implementation either because we had to fix things that went wrong in the implementation in the first time or what's even more costly is when you have this operational disruption where yep we went live but we couldn't ship product we couldn't close the books we couldn't invoice customers um, we couldn't collect cash whatever you know whatever the problem statement is a lot of organizations run into that sort of a challenge and in fact, uh, in our research over the years, and this actually goes back uh, over a decade, we've managed this or we've measured this one metric of what is the operational disruption and just over 50%, between 51 and 54%, it's always fallen in that range every year we conducted the study, um, just over half experienced some sort of material operational disruption, not just your usual, you know, it was a little bit harder than we thought, or it took us a little bit of time to get used to the new system. We're not talking about that. We're talking about we couldn't ship product. We couldn't close the books. There's some major disruption to our business and, and half of organizations are facing that problem when they go live with new technology. And when you look at what the impact to the overall total cost is or, or how much that operational disruption costs relative to the cost of the actual implementation itself, usually when there is that sort of operational disruption, those costs will dwarf 
the cost of the implementation itself. So, you know, I, I think back to early in my career, one of the first, um, one of the first projects that um, I had managed from soup to nuts, you know, from selection all the way through implementation was for a, a, a mid-sized manufacturer uh, in the U.S. and they they had European operations as well. So a multinational mid-sized organization, manufacturer of uh, cut um, of engineer order or make to order uh, types of, of products. Um, they made um, pressure gauges and and uh, pressure gauges for like oil uh, oil pipelines and gas pipelines and water mains and things like that. And they so they had implemented a manufacturing ERP solution. Um, I remember that there's a couple of decision points along the way where we had decided to um or we had recommended that they push out the go live because they had decided to do a bunch of customization to address some of the unique factors of their business and that was pushing the timeline out and i remember there was it was down to the it was the second the second time the go live had been shifted it had already been shifted two times and there was, we were recommending a third shift by 30 days to push it out 30 days to, to make sure we had time to finish the testing and to get through the, um, you know, the, the wrinkles in the system that they were deploying. And the CEO, I still remember the CEO said, look, we've got to cut our losses. We've got to stop the bleeding. This is taking too long, taking too much time and money. We need to, we need to just go live. And, you know, of course we recommended, okay, we don't recommend you do that. Here are the risks just to make sure you're, you're aware of the risks. And they said, Okay, we get it, but we still want to go live. So, long story short, we help them through the through the go live, and uh, it was a it was a mess. They they went live, and they at the end of the day they lost so many customer orders that for they're about a hundred million U.S. dollar company in annual revenue. They had lost, and when I say lost, I don't mean like it just took them a little bit longer to fill the order, or um, they had to delay these orders. They actually lost uh, ten million dollars over $10 million of orders um, in those first two to three months after you go live. And so you look at the cost, you know, take the, the profit margin on whatever that $10 million of sales was, call it, you know, one or 2 million um, in, in lost profit. You compare that to the, what was going to be about, if I remember correctly, somewhere between 60 and $70,000 it would have cost to extend the go live that extra 30 days to go through the diligence and the testing. So they made that trade off or that conscious decision that we want to save that 60 or $70,000. So they did do that. They they gained that sixty or seventy thousand dollars, but they lost however many millions of dollars in profit on that. We lost ten million dollars in sales. So that's the way you kind of have to think about this. Is it's never an easy answer, and there's never a good answer when you get into those types of situations. But you do want to make sure you have a clear understanding of what the real impact is uh, to to the organization and the real cost as well. And then uh, you know the variables that had the strong, strongest impact on operational disruption. Just in case you can't read the the box on the right there, um, the biggest variables were uh, clarity of business processes. Um, those that have tighter, better defined processes tended to have less operational disruption. Um, those that invested in change management tended to have less operational disruption. Those that had alignment among the executives and key stakeholders had less disruption, um, as did those that spent time and effort. Um, on the user acceptance testing and conference room pilots and making sure they almost over invested in that process to make sure they worked out all the all the kinks and the wrinkles. And again, there's a big difference between the technology working and the system integrator delivering a working system from a technical perspective versus one that actually works for your business and it, it can actually function within your business. Those are two very different things oftentimes. Yeah, and Eric, it looks like we have some questions specifically on budgeting for organizational change management. 
can you talk about how um, you might do that within this process? Sure. I mean, we get that question a lot, and that that's a tough one to answer because I don't have a I don't have a, a hard and fast metric. Uh, typically, what we do is we'll go in and do an, an organizational assessment to figure out you know what what is the culture of the organization, um, how big is the change? Because obviously, if it's a bigger change, that's going to require more organizational change management. Um, how quickly are you trying to make the change? Um, how will how willing and able and and uh, skilled are your people in in migrating to that change? Those are all things that affect the amount of time and money and efforts it's going to take to invest in change management. But a, a good metric that I've used, and I think I've seen this from, uh, I remember if it's Gardner or one of the big uh, industry analyst firms, I thought I'd seen in the past, and I've always had it in my mind for the last several years, it's somewhere between 15 and seven, 15 and 20% of the total budget should be invested in change management. And what you find is it's usually a tiny fraction of that. I mean, you're oftentimes you're lucky to get a couple you know, a couple percentage points of a total budget on on the overall implementation. Um, but what I would say, though, you know, here's the other thing: you hear post mortem, you you often hear clients complain about, you know, they spent too much too much time and money on the project. Oftentimes, it's we spent too much time and money just trying to get the technology configured and customized and tested and all that stuff. But I've never heard a client say, yeah, we spent too, way too much money on change management. It's usually we should have spent more on that and less on the technology. So the, the more you can simplify some of the technology work streams and focus more on the human pieces, um, I'd, I'd rather I'd rather take, uh, you know, a, a underwhelming uh, technical solution, but have a really good change management solution. That's probably going to be a better bet than trying to swing for the fences on the technology side, but then under investing in the tech in the, uh, the human side. Uh, I would agree with that. The, the overall point here is to enable your business to function more effectively. And it's, it's a far better scenario to implement bad software very well than it is to imp implement very good software poorly. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, part of what complicates that point, Adam, is that, you know, vendors and system integrators are, they're selling you on this vision of what their technology can do and how great the technology is. And, and back to Stuart's presentation and even mine at the very beginning of today, you kind of look long-term what things could be like 10 years from now. And then you try to cram that all into a you know 12 or 18 month implementation. It's, it's just not gonna happen. So you've got to figure out how do, we, how do we maybe back off those expectations and say, okay, that might be where we're gonna be in 10 years, but in two years, we might just be happy automating our, you know, getting some real simple GL and accounting software in place. Maybe that's okay. Maybe that's a, you know, good risk reward trade-off there. Yeah. And we've got two questions about defining processes, defining whether, judging whether or not processes are defined well enough. And then also with how important are edge cases in the process design. Um, those are kind of intertwined, I would say. And um, Eric, I'd be curious as to um, what, what your thoughts are here too. But from a perspective of defining your current state, um before your implementation is not, not quite as necessary as the detail that you get into in defining your processes uh in the implementation and every possible scenario should be accommodated in a system or known that it's not going to be in the system from a um if you, you can call them edge cases you can call them exceptions your erp you don't choose one and implement it for the happy path in your business processes so having everything down to the to the nittiest grittiest detail is really important to being successful in your implementation on the whole and not just 
creating it in that space, but also implementing it down to that and testing it down to that space with real data is really how you get to, to the point of the most, uh, the highest degree of success in, in your business processes and in going live and testing those edge cases with, with, with real data, knowing where some of them are. You, you're always going to have unknown unknowns that come up throughout the, the process, but knowing that you're getting everything and, and getting coverage of the whole of your business is, an, is, is really critical to success because it's, it's very frequently the edge cases that cause the biggest breakages. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, he, and sometimes those edge cases can bring the operations to its knees or depending on what it is or how customer facing it is, of course, but that's a good, a good point. And you're never going to cover every single exception or scenario. You know, there's always curveballs that you, you get in your day-to-day -day operations, but if they're known curveballs or known exceptions or things that, you know, are difficult or where you have some sort of unique workaround right now, I agree with you. you that's what's going to mess things up or, or uh, tangle things up when you when you get into a real world environment. And you know the question here about how do you know if the processes are defined enough? Um, I think Liam asked that question uh, around how do you know if they're defined enough? You know the way I always think about it is I'm not sure if you're if anyone on the uh, conference here today is familiar with that level one through five methodology or nomenclature for business process definition. Um, but to simplify it, it's, you know, level level one is sort of your macro process at a real high level. Level five is getting down to the real granular keystroke transactional workflows. And then levels, you know, two through four kind of incrementally working their way down to, to level five, level of detail. But when you're evaluating, so when you're evaluating technology, usually you're kind of at that level one and two, you know, you're up at the macro level. You're defining your business processes in a way that's helping you evaluate and choose the right technology that's the best fit. You don't want to get down to level three, four, five because that's dependent on what technology you deploy. Um, but when you when you've selected the software and then you start moving it into implementation, what ends up happening is the system integrator generally wants to dive straight down into level five. So they're just trying to figure out, okay, how do I build these workflows in the system and start training people on the workflows? But then you miss that middle part. So Usually when we do the implementation readiness or that pre-implementation planning, we suggest getting a little bit deeper, maybe down to level two and three level of granularity, just so you have a, a pretty clear blueprint of how you want the technology to be deployed. And then you have better direction to give to your system integrator on, you know, kind of here's our roadmap or here's our blueprint for what we want. Now let's fill in the blanks of how the technology is going to fit within that. And let's reconcile where maybe the technology can't support that. Um, but at least then you have a, a clear blueprint for where you want to go. So I think that's an important step that gets missed more often than not and that that creates a level of misalignment too because if you're you know your transactional workflows down here are working but they're not aligned with those high level macro uh, business processes you need to connect those dots and get them aligned in the middle there those are good good questions so with that being said let's dive into what are those keys to transformation success and there's actually eight of them that we'll we'll cover um and these are the sort of the, the high level themes that you may have picked up on or we may have alluded to throughout other presentations. And some of this may be new. But the first thing to keep in mind or the first tip, if we're to summarize eight things for you know, sort of an executive level executive summary, is that first of all, failure can be avoided, even though the statistics are pretty dismal, even though you know a lot of research shows that upwards of 80% of uh, transformations fail. Um, I just shared with you the statistic that over half of implementation suffer from, from some sort of material operational disruption. 
it may sound like it's sort of a lost cause. It's just, we're, we're doomed for failure. We're doomed for all this pain. And the reality is it's not true. I mean, it's not, it, it shouldn't be a surprise to most organizations that go through failure, but it ends up being a surprise because they're not well-educated. They've been misled by their system integrator or their vendor, or they just don't know any better. I mean, there, there's a lot of reasons why they're surprised by it, but they shouldn't be. If they, if they just educate themselves and understand lessons from others and understand what some of the key themes uh, for success are, then, then they will succeed. And, and usually you can tell by looking at a number of different criteria, you can sort of tell whether or not a project's gonna be a success or failure. Now, granted, not to say that there's never, there's situations where there's never challenges. Every project has its challenges and tough points in the, in the project, but usually you can tell those that are gonna succeed versus the ones that fail based on what they're doing. And, and a lot of those decisions are made early in the transformation um, project. So um, that's probably the first big takeaway there is to, is to understand that piece of it. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back after the break and we'll finish up this uh, keynote session. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. We'll be right back. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. Uh, we go live every Wednesday on YouTube, all the podcast platforms like Google and uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Um, thanks for listening. And uh, we're talking in the, right now, we're, we're replaying for you a clip from a keynote session that we did at our Digital Stratosphere Conference about executive summary of best practices uh, in digital transformations. So we're going to cut back to that and we'll finish up the second half of that presentation right now. The second thing is to start with a clear digital strategy. Um, it's, it's easy to rush into the software selection and or the implementation, um, but you want to make sure you have a clear vision for what it is you're trying to accomplish with the project. Are you, you know, are you doing this just as a uh, technology upgrade, you know, per the, the earlier slide around digital transformation versus technology implementation? Or, you know, wh where are you on that continuum? So I have a clear long-term strategy and roadmap and understanding of what it is you're, you're going to do to get to that long-term uh, state of utopia that we were talking about earlier today. And again, if, if you, that state of utopia is something that's 10 years out or five years out or whatever it is, don't try to make that leap all at once. Too many organizations just try to make that leap because they've been sold a vision that could be executed within, allegedly be executed within 12 to 18 months or whatever the number is. Um, but you need to be realistic about it and really understand incrementally how are we going to get there over the next however many years. And in, in this space, you also want to, in defining your digital strategy and, and the goals that you're trying to get from this, knowing which ones you need to, which ones are more urgent and which ones can uh, require a little bit of building um, is important. You know, the, the two examples I like to use in this space is 
Um, I, I don't know how many folks uh, that are on green screen technology were come to me with one of the first things that they asked for is advanced business analytics, advanced business intelligence. And you ask them, why did, well, why do you want this? Like, well, I can't pull, a, pull my finance reports out of this green screen system. So I need advanced technology to do this. Like, it, what you need is financial reporting, uh, not advanced BI yet. Like, let, let's see what it is comes out of the box as opposed to going straight to the most advanced stuff. Because advanced BI is, uh, yeah, it's very cool. It does a lot of things and will enable you to make great decisions for your business. Um, but without the the right uh, approach to it, you you could overpay significantly for advanced business intelligence for just needing to see, uh, just needing to close the books in less than four weeks, you know, or just needing to be able to pull your financial statements um, without having to take six different sources, pull them into Excel and manipulate them. That's not advanced business intelligence. That's financial reporting. That's something that uh, what we'd like to recommend is in that space, you, you replace what's out of the what's there and what you need out of the box as close as possible and then see if you need some of the more advanced technology or did you did you actually get what you needed out of things once you know more about what it is you're you're biting off. Uh, the other part of the, this from a longer term perspective is things like MRP. I know Stuart was sharing the example with the Christmas trees, right? Um, MRP is an intelligent um, process that's predictive is based on demand planning it has a lot of inputs and for something to be uh, for MRP to be predictive it needs data and your green screen data is going to be really hard for your MRP to really create a lot of value from so if you're not running an MRP today or it's not advanced uh, you may think about implementing that in a later phase um, as part of your digital strategy so that you have time to get new, accurate, and, and very good data into your system. So then your MRP and demand planning modules can start making more predictive and effectively predictive uh, recommendations for purchasing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it kind of reminds me of the, the whole need to make sure you've got a clear understanding of what exactly you're getting. You know, is it there's, there's a lot of buzzwords floating around, but just making sure you translate that into what it what it's going to mean to your organization, and how it's going to fit within your organization. And, and if it doesn't, then you start you have to ask yourself, well, why are we doing it? Just because they have this technology capability available to us doesn't mean we necessarily need to be de deploying it, or at least not now. And speaking of that, I, I, that's a good segue into this next point, which is to let business drive the technology. The most successful projects that we've seen are the ones where it wasn't just IT leading the charge. It was more of a business uh, focused initiative, even if it was the CIO or IT director as the executive sponsor, or even if you did have a technical project manager internally, you still had some sort of uh, strong business focus that treated IT more as an enabler of the business change rather than assuming that IT was going to define for the business how the technology was going to fit within the business. So that's a really important point because a lot of times uh, we see a lot of businesses where the, the operational side will assume that the IT guy or gal is just going to take care of this and the whole team on the IT side is going to take care of it and just tell us what you need and we'll, we'll support you along the way. And really it should be flipped around. It should be the business driving 
this is what we need. This is how we want to define our processes. This is what we want to be when we grow up. Now let's figure out how technology is going to fit into that rather than the other way around. And, and also you want to make sure that the transformation is, is closely aligned with, with measurable goals and just overall objectives of the organization. You know, we talk about organizational misalignment being a root cause of failure. A lot of times it's because the way we've defined a digital transformation isn't what it isn't consistent with what we're trying to accomplish as a business. So I'll, I'll just give you an example. A lot of times we see um, cases where the executive or the strategic goal is to you know standardize business processes to drive efficiency and to move toward more of a shared service model where we're consolidating functions and we're starting to act like you know one common business with one common operating model across multiple locations. But then you get down to the digital transformation and the path of least resistance oftentimes is to not do that because that's painful to do those things. And so let's just sort of pave the cow paths and put technology in place in a way that's going to, um, in a way that's going to just enable the way we've always done things or the way we're doing things now. And not to open a whole nother can of worms or Pandora's box here that we could probably create a whole session on this one comment or this one thread. But I think the whole agile movement has actually made this problem worse because now you you know now in the name of agile we're just going to go start doing stuff and I know I'm oversimplifying I'm probably offending a certain number of people in the audience today but that's not the intent the intent here is to look more strategically at you know yes we can go execute from an agile perspective but when it comes to defining and planning what we want to be when we grow up and what our processes should look like that just takes time and and agile runs counter to that agile says don't spend a lot of time up front doing that just go build stuff and get a minimum viable product and and you know let's just start making some progress and getting some quick wins well okay we can get a lot of quick wins along the way but we could be going in the totally wrong direction getting quick wins along the way so we've got to make sure we're going the right direction and and we have that that alignment with the overall the overall strategy so just some food for thought as you think about how you know how are we going to treat this project how are we going to plan for it what's our strategy how are we going to put together the plan all that good stuff the other uh, another thread here is to set realistic expectations uh, I mentioned before in the last session or the first session from today that unrealistic expectations are often the root causes of, of problems later on. Um, and again, the, the phenomena we see or the dynamic we see in place there is that you, you box in your project with some unrealistic assumptions. You assume it's going to take less time and resources and you assume it's going to be less risky than it really is going to be. And then you get into the implementation after everyone's on, on board with that those assumptions you get into the project or halfway through the project and, and realize that this isn't going to work. This isn't, this was never realistic to begin with. And now we need more time and money, or we have to dramatically cut scope or cut corners just to be able to fit within this, you know, flawed budget and timeline. So that's the, uh, that's the, that's the big thing that, that we've got to uh, keep in mind is that, you, you want to have those realistic expectations. And, and the biggest word of advice I can give is that last bullet there, which is when you get proposals from vendors, you don't want to distrust them, but you also want to ask a lot of questions like how in the world are we going to, you know, migrate all of our data in a week or whatever the assumption might be in, the, in their plan or in their proposal. And also look for things that aren't in their proposal that are important to the success of the project and should be built into your overall plan. So if you think of it as a, you know, an overall program plan that you're managing, the technical implementer, the system integrator, or the vendor is just one part of that. So to to um, 
to put all your eggs in that one basket to say whatever proposal they give me, that's what I'm going to budget on. That's that's flawed from the start, even if they're not being overly optimistic because they haven't included all the other things that you're responsible for. So you're probably going to be responsible for data migration. You're probably going to be responsible for change management. You're probably going to be responsible for defining your business processes for you know integrating to third party systems. These are all things that are super critical to the project, but they typically don't build that into their plans and or if they have it's very superficial very you know, tertiary at best and add to that the fact that usually they're overly optimistic on their own work stream and you can see how quickly you're going to end up with an unrealistic set of expectations if you don't ask the tough tough questions and if you don't have the people unbiased agnostic people helping you that can help identify where those gaps are and where the you know dose of reality needs to be added and to elaborate on that a, a bit more, I think that there's a from a vendor perspective, and um, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, conversations that we have on this that um, you know we should we should give them some credit. They they don't they know what their system can do, and there's a confirmation confirmation bias in that they've seen their system do all kinds of things. They know it can do just about anything, but that doesn't mean that they know that uh, that it can do it well. Or better than anybody else's, or without the uh, uh, significant degree of customization, or that just because they think it can happen doesn't always mean that it can in that system in that way either. So that confirmation bias is really part of what causes a lot of those problems, in my opinion. And from a perspective of the uh, you know taking things with a grain of salt and setting real expect uh, realistic expectations. You know, for Rajan's question on artificial intelligence um, and, and ERP versus built-in products or, or uh, other tools like Power BI, what are, what are your expectations? You know, the answer to which is better is what's what's the better fit for you. You know, if your expectations are that it is going to do quite a lot of um, AI-based uh, number crunching and decision making for you then Power BI is not going to be able to handle that. But if it's something that is more aligned towards the business intelligence skill sets, key performance indicators, you know, maybe a smaller software package is, is realistic, you know, so think about your needs and how it is these, your expectations are set and what it is you're looking for software to do to meet those needs. Yeah. Really, really good points. And uh, yeah, couldn't agree. Couldn't agree more with you. Um, I also like Richard Richard's comment here. I, I think I mentioned something about a grain of salt, and he said grain uh, question mark or big pile, uh, and, and that is a way to look at it. I know you, you might be half kidding on that comment, but you do have to, um, you know, you, you have to accept accept it for what it is when you get these proposals and these these proposed budgets and timelines. Is they're they're trying to make a sale, and you know that's just human nature. Even if you assume the best in people, you have to assume that the human nature is they want to make the sale, and they're not gonna. Um, they're not going to risk alarming you as a customer. So another uh, point here is that implementation is more important than selection. That's one of the big findings we, we see with clients. It's easy to get overwhelmed with all the options out there. It's easy to get caught up in analysis paralysis. We see it all the time, um, especially when you get more stakeholders involved. And, you know, on one hand, from a change management buy-in perspective, you want people to be involved in the decision and the evaluation process. But on the other hand, that complicates things that can slow down the decision-making process because you're never going to get all of your questions answered. You're never going to feel hundred percent comfortable with whatever solution or solutions you end up uh, wanting to go with. 
And so you, you really have to find that balance between, yeah, we want buy-in, we want to do our due diligence, but we also don't want to spend way too much time and money uh, thinking through this stuff. Um, because what ends up happening a lot of times is that, uh, again, the analysis paralysis sets in and you reach a point of diminishing returns where you're never going to be fully confident and comfortable. And now we're just wasting time and money that we could be spending on the actual implementation. So if we view resources as being finite, which it is for most organizations, you really have to think about, okay, every day and week and month that we go on without a decision or that we spend trying to overanalyze, overthink a process, or worse yet, evaluate systems that we shouldn't have been evaluating in the first place because it's just not a good fit. It doesn't, you know, there's key requirements that we have that isn't going to be met by this technology. So why are we spending our time evaluating it? That ends up happening a lot too. So the quicker you can get through an, an educated and agnostic and informed evaluation and get to a decision and then start to really focus and double down on the implementation itself, um, that's going to serve you a lot better. Uh, if you can uh, have a, a really strong implementation on a subpar software, that's going to be a much better bet than having 100% confidence that you found the perfect technology, but then now you don't have enough time and money to, to implement it appropriately. And on that, I would say that your selection, if, if, as long as your selection is enabling your your implementation on the whole, where you're really starting to think future state and prepare for your implementation and treat it almost like a an extension of your readiness phase, that's really the best way to use a software selection so that you're really getting a lot out of what it is you're doing to select the system, but it's not just focused for the, on the sheer purpose of just determining whether or not you should go with one versus another, but is also gaining some uh, some additional value in the in the way that you'll be more re more ready to start people will be engaged your processes can be a bit more uh, well defined uh, if, if you're really going to go big in the selection phase you know it's it is more important to implement well than select well but you should also consider that you can really get some some great synergy on your readiness uh, activities and using your selection phase to be a, a double-edged tool for you. Yeah, that's a great point. You don't have to necessarily wait until you get through the selection to then think about change management or then think about oh, yeah. rollout strategy and all that stuff. Well, so many of the change management tactics, data, the process improvements, you don't need software for those. You know, yeah. and you, you can evaluate that and get that in place and it will make your implementation go far more smooth, uh, far more smoothly, and, and you'll start reaping benefits earlier as well. Yeah, absolutely. You knock out some of those critical paths activities sooner. Uh, I think we've hit this point several times throughout multiple presentations today, so I won't spend a lot of time here, but there's, there's no silver bullets. Watch out for the silver bullets. Be leery of it. Be skeptical. Um, sometimes I feel like uh, that old Saturday Night Live skit with Debbie Downer, where she, you know, someone, someone will be talking about how they had a great time at Disneyland or whatever, and then she steps in and starts complaining about the the risk of going on amusement park rides and stuff like that. If you haven't seen the, if you haven't seen the skit, that's the the gist of Debbie Downer, and they do it in a lighthearted way. But you kind of have to act like Debbie Downer when it comes to the the over optimism that comes at you from the the software vendors and system integrators, and that. You know, healthy dose of skepticism will, will serve you well just to, you know, not not assume that just because the technology is great that it's going to be easy. Uh, probably the best example is uh, cloud uh, cloud deployments. I mean, that I think that's one of the most oversold movements in the industry, even though the whole industry, as we talked about before, is moving to the cloud. 
and I'm not disputing the the benefit of the cloud, but where what I am disputing is this uh, whole notion that cloud deployments are somehow easier, they're cheaper, they're faster, because they're just simply not. If anything, the way cloud deployments have been going recently with some of these uh, relatively immature cloud solutions being rolled out to organizations by really big software vendors, um, it's actually complicating things more to where, you know, I would argue it could potentially be increasing time and cost for, for transformation. So, you know, really watch out for that silver bullet mentality, which is, you know, it's what we all want to hear, you know, so it's understandable. I, I want to hear that there's an easy button out there. I want to hear that a cloud solution is super easy to deploy. I want to hear that my people aren't going to resist this change and that they're just going to love this technology. That's all stuff I want to hear. But what I want to hear versus reality are, are oftentimes very different when it comes to these transformations. And probably the most important thing is that, you know, even if even if you assume the technology itself is easier to deploy for whatever reason, we still haven't addressed the really big problem, which is the people and process side of the equation. Those are always the the toughest part, the toughest parts, I should say. Sometimes faster is not better on that. Ah, there you go. <laughs> so actually, we, you can go to the next one. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Exactly. I, I won't. I won't steal too much of your thunder on this, but um, sometimes faster is more expensive. Um, and, and you rush into creating more problems than, than solving them by moving more quickly. So um, I'll, I'll back off for a second here for you to get to the slide, Eric. No, that's perfect. You're more than welcome to steal, steal my thunder anytime. Yeah. Yeah, I think you, you hit the point here that it's, uh, you know, you don't, you, you, some, I think there's a, there's a fine line here between going fast and being aggressive in your implementation or in your overall project you can do that if you have a solid plan and you're aligned and you've got clear direction. The problem is too often you you run into this dynamic where we've selected the software, we've signed the contract, the vendors and the system integrators are pressuring us now to bring on the army of people to help them start deploying, to help you start deploying the technology. And add that to the fact that this there's a lot of excitement internally around this decision. Usually momentum's the highest right at the end of the selection phase, right? When you've decided that this is a path forward, that's about as high as mo as momentum's going to ever be in a project. And that's about as high as morale is going to be on your project team. And I hate to say it, but that's typically true. And then from then, you know, then it starts to drop once you start to get it into the headwinds and into the weeds of the, the you know, what the change actually means and all the nuances that go, that go in with it. So, that dynamic oftentimes leads organizations because they've got so much momentum. People are excited about this new path forward. Vendor and system integrator are pressuring you to get started right away. It leads to this phenomena where we end up bringing in a ton of consultants that are there, ready to start building stuff, but we're still trying to figure out, you know, what are we, what are we doing here? What are we, what are our processes going to be? What are we consolidating? What are we standardizing? What are we not? And while you're making those decisions, the meter is running. You're paying for that time for the consultants to be sitting there waiting for you to decide. So. You really want to take a couple steps back to take many steps forward and, and to be able to move faster later by getting that clear definition of plan in, in place. To your, to your point, Adam, faster isn't always better, but sometimes you have to start off slow to be able to go faster later. And overall, that can be the faster and cheaper approach. When it takes time for the system integrator to get their team on board too, right? So um, one of the, the biggest challenges is that sales handoff. Um, the folks that you've been talking to most of the time I mean, you might have one or two technical resources that have, that have, that you've been talking to, but those you're talking you've been talking to the sales guys the whole time, and that handoff takes time. And you know, there's a there's an, an embedded assumption that because I told the sales guy, 
everybody at the organization knows what I told them is my most important thing. Um, and it takes time for that message to sink in across uh, uh, across your implementation team, your system integrators, and, and for them to get up and running so that your technical resources understand your business, that there's that, that knowledge handoff and trying to rush that part of the present, uh, the implementation from a planning perspective can really start putting people in spots where they're expected to know more than they should yet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then finally, as a uh, preview of the next session, uh, the most important thing is, is organizational change management, the, the people side of the equation, uh, your project will fail without it. Um, I don't. I don't think I've ever seen a project succeed that didn't invest really heavily in change management. And uh, even the cases that I've been involved with or that we've been involved with as a team where they have invested heavily in change management, it, there's there's typically more you could be doing to be doing a better job in that area. Um, and it, it really comes down to understanding what exactly change management is. And that again, that's the topic for the next discussion. I just realized, Kyler, I'm, we're way over on time. So I apologize. We're throwing off your schedule here. But um, the just at a high level, I think the one thing I'd say, um, short of getting into the details that we'll cover in the next session, is that change management is a lot more than just training and communications. If your system integrator or your vendor is probably going to suggest a certain amount of uh, you know communication and training type of activities, which is great, but that is just scratching the surface, and that's stuff that's way downstream. You need to be doing change management from day one, and that includes things like organizational design. Uh, the organizational readiness, the change impact analysis, and really targeting the communications along the way, not just what are we doing with this project and uh, not just when are we going to get trained on the new system. That stuff's important, but what's more important is how is this project going to affect me and my job and how how is it compared to the way I do things today and how are you going to help me understand that and get to that, that point. What ends up happening too often is that you get to the training uh, workshops you know, in, in class training or whatever it is, and people have their freak out moments in the training, you know, they should be having those freak out moments way earlier in the process. So you can work through it and work through those kinks so that by the time you get to end user training, it's more of a formality of, okay, I already understand that my job's changing and I understand why, and I've already, I've already freaked out. Now you're just going to show me how to do it in the new system. So uh, I'm oversimplifying, but that's sort of the, the general dynamic that we often see with change management. So make sure you have a real solid investment in change management along the way. Okay, well, uh, hopefully you all enjoyed that segment from our Stratosphere conference a few weeks ago. Um, Kyler, one last time, where can people access that and the other keynotes that we did on that first day of the, the conference? Yeah, absolutely. So it's available on our website and then also on our third stage YouTube channel um, as well. So um, feel free. And, and again, my contact information is below. So if you have questions about where to find things, I'm happy to, to help um, deliver. Great. Yeah. And, and uh, for those of you that aren't subscribers to uh, our YouTube channel, just uh, search Third Stage Consulting. When you go into YouTube, you'll find us there. You can also follow or subscribe to my channel on YouTube and uh, certainly connect with us on LinkedIn and other social media platforms as well. We, we post stuff daily, uh, new content. So I encourage you to um, check that out as well. So Kyler, thanks for being here today. Uh, your, your first, this was our first podcast together. So thank you for, we've done other events together, but this is our first podcast. So thank you for yeah, being a great host today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been, it's been a, a great time. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. We'll have you again soon and uh, we'll have a good rest of your week, uh, Kyler, and everyone else listening and uh, hope, hope to see you all soon. And we'll see you next time on Transformation Ground Control.